Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler, Steve Russell, as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Welcome to the show today, Christian Living That Counts. This is your host, Steve Russell, and I'm in the studio with Corbin Preford again. It occurred to me the other day that uh, when you have an older person in your life, uh, it's like it's like a museum. And if you don't go in and take the tour every now and then, and someday when the museum's gone and all the, the things that were in it that it contained that you might have learned from days gone by are, are gone and inaccessible, uh, it's just a tragedy. So it's a great privilege and honor always to give Mike time to Corbin Prefert in his 95 years. And it's Christmas season, and uh, I know that kind of limits the uh, the aspect of the show. But at the same time, we wanted to talk a little bit about some things Christmas. And I asked him from his treasure trove of 95 Christmases to come, come up with some that were different or exceptional or memorable. And so I'm just going to start out by asking Corbin, Uh, First of all, welcome to the studio, and then I want you to tell us a little bit about what it was Christmas was like when you were growing up at home. It was in uh, mid-state Nebraska, and if we didn't have snow on the ground, we uh, couldn't believe that it's Christmas. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. The snow made it uh, so much different because... We needed the moisture, I guess. We appreciate it for that reason, too. Um, so a white Christmas was, was no problem then. You know, here growing up in northeast Texas, when I would, uh, we'd be singing White Christmas, most of us scratching our heads wondering what that looked like. But it <laughs> wasn't any trouble in Nebraska, huh? True. <laughs> our um, seasons then uh, came much slower than they do now. It seemed like Christmas would never come. We did have a few specials. One morning I remember seeing a BB gun underneath the Christmas tree, and uh, my father had really uh, sweat blood, so to speak, to get it there. I didn't realize, but it was a very big present from him to me. And of course, being oldest of seven kiddos, we wore, we used that BB gun, which was a daisy, until it was all worn out. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I remember my first BB gun. In fact, several Christmases had BB guns because I did wear them out. And I'm sure with the family as large as yours, the brothers, uh, y'all, y'all did your share of wear and tear on that daisy. Um, that, that makes me think, though, I, I can remember my dad, who would have been a little older than you were, where he's still around, Talking about the different kinds of presents and the scarcity of them, uh, what what you know today when we go to the store and we spend hundreds of dollars on electronic gizmos and things like that, and and you know as we were talking about just a few moments ago, Christmas seems to start right at Halloween, and there's so much commercialism. But back in your day as a young boy, uh, Christmas presents I imagine were a little more Spartan and scarce. What what do you what do you Comment. What would you comment about that? Well, to begin with, our Christmas tree was uh, um, from the field, if we could find one out there. And then we'd put it in a bucket of uh, uh, dirt and so forth. Um, so your Christmas uh, tree stand was a bucket of dirt. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> and then, of course, that became a risky item because in the house, uh, the leaves of the tree would dry and and then it could become a hazard a fire hazard but our christmas gifts were few um there would be one for each individual on the tree hopefully and uh sometimes it was a handkerchief hmm. that was about it sometimes it was a little toy of some kind which would last well i still have a little toy iron tractor a fortune on my shelf at home and it's very uh 
it's it's a it's a treat to see it each time that I see it. It's surprising how that continues with me. Hmm. Wow. Well, I, and I know Dad sometime would tell me that that they were even lucky, and it might be a piece of fruit. Um, you know, an apple or a char, an orange, which they were not accustomed to, and sometimes that was the that was the extent of a Christmas present. So, uh, totally, totally different from today. I, I know today that most most young parents uh, they they try to get their kids, you know, go pick up your toys, and that's like that's like picking up leaves off the ground in fall. There's so much scattered throughout the house and. I even even now as a grandparent, I I'm still stepping on Legos and little pieces of of things that the kids build and shape when they're at, at our house, and I'm I'm stepping on them year round because they were scattered everywhere. But uh, that's just something that's uh, I guess true of the modern era, uh, and and certainly something that was different years and years ago. Did- we had a dear relative, and. Uh, the couple would buy gifts for their two boys ahead of time, and after Christmas, it was a, a, a it was a, a, a effort to get through certain rooms because there was toys <laughs> that you could step on if you didn't watch it, and it hurt my heart. It really did. I mean, it's such a waste for people to continue that idea. Kids are spoiled nowadays. And it's not their fault. It's our fault if we do it. And a spoiled brat is not a nice person to live with in the future. It hurts him or her, and it hurts the people that they associate with. And it's because they were given more than what they needed from the word go. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like when we have so many choices, whatever choice we make, we can tire of it quickly and uh, we don't really have an appreciation for it. We don't have a sense of scarcity. Uh, and, and so we can really, we can really lose out there. Let me, let me change that just a little bit and ask you about, um, what would you do to celebrate Christmas? Uh, for example, was Christmas dinner special at the house, a house full of kids is all the numbers you grew up with. My mother had four sisters and, uh, and four brother-in-laws and we had relatives galore. <laughs> we always had somebody's house to go to, and they would have a big spread. And uh, then, of course, we'd uh, gorge uh, if we weren't careful. It was um, wonderful. But it was definitely a special meal. Very uh, special. Did, your, did all those ants live nearby? Yes, within eight miles. Wow. Wow! So you, you didn't you didn't hurt for a for a bountiful table. True. That's great. That's great. Well, what about uh, today? Uh, of course, radio is inundated. We've got our smartphones that play music and all this kind of stuff. What about uh, church services? Were they different or special at Christmas uh, back in in the era of your childhood? We would uh, perform our little programs sometimes behind a curtain. And people were supposed to imagine, like on, because radio was just coming in, and it was supposed to be the new idea, uh, this is coming over radio to you, which made us, we kiddos, real happy. We didn't have to be special dressed or look so nice. And anyhow, we just had two of those, I think. But Christmas programs at school, we uh, enjoyed a lot. Uh we got to sing and sometimes give a, a, a comments about uh, Santa Claus or something. Too many times, Jesus Christ was left out, hmm. and it uh, uh, is worse nowadays even than what it was when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, we did honor the Lord Jesus more so than. Uh, uh, we do nowadays, I believe. Yeah, that may go back just to the fact that today we've got so many distractions uh, that uh, it's, yes. it's easy. It's kind of like we were saying a minute ago with those choices. When you have so many choices, 
um, the choice of, of choosing to celebrate Christmas in a special way and give real emphasis to the birth of Christ and the incarnation of God becoming a man is just um, uh, it's choice. But it seems to be so many one of of uh, one of so many, and there and therefore uh, easily ignored or or bypassed. Selfishness was a thing of those days. Sometimes, uh, well, me as an individual, uh, sometimes the first thing I do would be see what my brother got. Uh, I hope his is not bigger or better than mine. And sometimes you'd uh, almost have a little old fight. Uh, if I wanted his, maybe I should just take it. <laughs> That's uh, a practice that uh, kiddos... Uh, uh, enjoy apparently because they don't know Jesus. I remember when I accepted Jesus, I was seventeen, and I knew what I was doing. Now, did when, you did you go to church a long time before that time? Were y'all in church prior to your age seventeen a lot? Quite a bit. So yes. Okay, but but you made your personal decision to follow Christ at seventeen. Yes. Gotcha. I understand. My father didn't go to church. He was always busy. He would help the mother prepare the kids, get them into the car, and send us off to church, and then he'd go back to work. You know, you mentioned, uh, I'll come back a minute to that idea of work for the father of the, uh, the house, but you mentioned selfishness a minute ago, and I felt a twinge of guilt personally, and I may have gotten this this habit from my mother, but... I, re- I remember my mother doing this, and I've done it too, and I'm still doing it. Uh, Christmas rolls around, and, and I want to I want to buy myself a gift, uh, you know, of something I've really been putting off that uh, I wanted, but I just wouldn't go spend the money for it. But Christmas comes around, I say, well, I'm going to treat myself. Uh, and so and I, I bet I got that from my mother because she was notorious for uh, for, for doing that. And, and, and yet at the same time, I, I kind of understand you, you – you're uh, sacrificial up into that time, and you kind of loosen up a little bit and do that. So it, it's not all bad. But back to the story you were telling about your dad, you know, that's a that's a classic story that was uh, portrayed in television for years, several decades ago, by the, the Waltons, uh, you know, the head of the house there. Always wasn't a church-going person, and but was very industrious and felt like the, the best thing he could do to serve God was to get out and go to work. And I think probably in in your day uh, of a childhood, uh, your your memories of your father, there was so much to do. It was very easy to lapse into that that way of, of being for the head of the house, who brought in most of of whatever income or produce or whatever there was. We'll be back in just a minute and and uh, carry on this conversation about Christmas's past with Corbin Prefort. Stay with us. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. Many Christians worry about how to share their faith. They even feel guilty about not sharing. Hi, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts on toginet.com. Christians sharing their faith feel awkward and bothersome sometimes. But my friend Bobby Bateman has a unique way to break the ice and open the door for a casual conversation. Join us soon for the interview with Bobby about his unique idea or learn more now at his website. It's personaltous.com. Once again, that website is itspersonaltous.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. 
Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. We're back with Corp and Preford in the studio, and we're reviewing some Christmases past. Uh, not to borrow from Charles Dickens here too much in, in the story of a Christmas Carol, but uh, some of his were uh, unique uh, in in their in their ways and their the age. We've discussed about gift giving and celebration and meals. And while we were off the air, we were just visiting a little bit about the idea of Christmas cards. Uh, and it just hit us both how much that has changed. Uh, Corbin, share what you were, were sharing about Christmas cards. When I found a nice Christmas card for my wife, uh, the following year she would see the same card for Christmas. For several years we would use the same card. And then, of course, maybe later on we'd change to another card. But these cards, you know, always carry the same message about Jesus. And so I'm not stingy, but I am frugal. And I just couldn't toss that nice card (laughs) and go buy another one which I didn't like as good. And my wife, thank the Lord, was acceptable and agreeable to this, which I did appreciate. Well, you know that 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 is interesting. We uh, we we card everything today. We've got cards for all kinds of holidays and all yeah. kinds of occasions. And uh, we were laughing too about you said I think it saved a quarter, and I said, well, that that dates you right there into the past because the postage today is at least forty nine cents on the just the postage alone. But then then the card uh, upwards of a dollar or two, it's getting to where now the cards cost what gifts used to cost. Um, so you can understand some restraint and frugality when it comes to those cards. But the message, as you said, doesn't really change around Christmas. And it might be interesting for people to save their Christmas cards. And I know, I know our children, and I, we probably did this from time to time in my young married years when we would take a picture of the family and put it on a Christmas card. And, and those are frequently saved. And you see how the family changes and the kids grow and, and that sort of thing. <clears throat> but it occurred to me, too, that today, um, you know, just to, to, to send a Christmas card and actually get one in the mail, which is, is still prevalent and quite quite frequent. Uh, um, but at the same time, we've got electronic and digital media, media like Facebook and, and Twitter and things like that. So um, I was talking to a fellow yesterday, and he said uh, he, he felt like he probably had 40,000 people that read uh, his blog on the Internet. I thought, well, that would be the easy way to uh, hit a button and wish 40,000 people Merry Christmas. Uh, It's not very personal, but it gets out there. At least nobody gets left out. Um, But, uh, you know, I wouldn't want Hallmark to say this or to hear this, but uh, actually (laughs) I was talking to some friends one time, and they said, you know, when it comes to a special occasion in our family, what we do is we go down to the store, especially a husband and wife, they go down to the store and they get over in the car dial. And instead of buying cards, they just find a good one and go walk over and read it to the other one. <laughs> and, and the other one finds one and brings it over and reads it <laughs> to the other one. And then they walk out of the store after about 30 minutes of sharing unique cards. So that's really frugal. Uh, again, I wouldn't want the card, card manufacturers and distributors to hear that, but it, uh, it is a funny perspective and way to do things and save money. But um, all right, in your uh, as you grew up, uh, you left home, you got married. What were what were Christmases like as a, as a young married couple for you? Well, they were uh, not very fancy because when we married, neither one of us had any money. Um, we um, married for love, and. Uh, our Christmas, in turn, was the same way. It was um, interesting, uh, but I don't recall too much about them. It seems like they just came and went so quick. And then it was, we were into the new year, and, uh, hey, Christmas has come and gone. Yeah, okay, Time, y'all, as you grow older, goes even faster. There's no way to understand how it can go so fast, but it truly does. It seems to me it goes faster every year. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, and, and all the more reason when we do have a holiday season like Christmas, and we're actually recording this uh, exactly one week before Christmas, but um, it makes uh, every day more precious uh, if, we, if we slow down a little bit and uh, don't accelerate the pace. And, and uh, of course, when we're children, uh, seven days from Christmas is just agonizing. Uh, you want it to get here, and uh, you want the presents opened. You want the, all the things that, that go with it. But as you get older, you, you, you appreciate the, the slow pace uh, to sit down and appreciate every day that, that leads up to it. So uh, that's, that's certainly a part of it. it of course, marrying for love uh, reminds me, of course, is the gift of the Magi and, uh, and how the young man who uh, sold his, his, his watch uh, to buy his wife, uh, who had beautiful hair, the combs, the beautiful combs, and she sold her hair to buy him uh, the watch chain. And uh, <laughs> uh, both of them had, had no way to really appreciate the gift except the great love that was behind it and the great sacrifice. So uh, marrying for love and having those Christmases when you're young and in love certainly certainly is memorable. Um, you, you, you mentioned, uh, the, we talked briefly about the tree and how the old real trees could quickly become a fire hazard. Um, Tell me some ornaments, some things that uh, do you remember any special ornaments or anything that was kept as a family tradition that you would put on the tree? My mother kept from year to year an angel, and she would always attach that to the top of the tree. Hmm. And if it wasn't, uh, well, we just, if it wasn't there, we would have been surprised yeah. because that was a part of the tree. What well, wasn't Christmas till the angel was on top of the tree? Huh? Every year, <laughs> the same angel. Wow! And it lasted for many years. Well, you know, I, I haven't thought too much about that. But when you said the word angel, immediately it came to mind. I still have them. My parents had four little angels that held four birthday candles, one one each, one candle for each angel. And they, they were holding a candle in one hand and a letter in the other hand that spelled out Noel, which, of course, is French in, uh, for Christmas and uh, the season. And uh, But we had a good friend. My parents had a really good friend named Leon. And every time he visited the house, when he would leave, you'd have to go back and fix those angels because he would change Noel to Leon <laughs> until we caught it uh, and rearranged it back to be a, a Christmas arrangement. So now that wasn't on the tree; that was just on the shelf. But um, you know, I, I was thinking today, we're, as we're recording this, we're going back into a season of the the movie of Star Wars, or Star Wars, making its reappearance and its in its installment, and um, I know that in my family, years ago, some some things that we did as a family, some television shows that we watched or something, uh, I remember particularly Star Trek ornaments, and Hallmark uh, actually produced those, and we would put different spaceships on, on the tree, and I, I don't know how our boys have divided up who has what spaceship uh, after we distributed those uh, among the kids, uh, but uh, those ornaments were special. I know some. I know some families that there's a new ornament every year, and they hang all those out in the years of of that family. They can go back and point to those ornaments and remember Christmas's past. Um, so that's that's neat too. Um, Christmas is also a time when we go back and. Uh, we we reminisce with family as well as getting together with them, but we we tell our stories and and so forth. And uh, some families put out newsletters, uh, kind of capturing the events of the last year. Uh, and and I was running across one of those that I had written uh, some eight years ago, and it was amazing to go back and read that and see what was going on in our lives uh, at that time. Any other Christmas traditions come to mind that uh, were memorable and uh, things from the past, Corbin? You got 95 of them to draw from, so. Steve, excuse me, I remember, excuse me, um, the thought just came to me a minute ago. Uh, We were in a one-room schoolhouse 
one little teacher had charge of the eight grades. <laughs> and I remember one Christmas when we were waiting for Santa Claus to come to this school program, and I did hear Santa Claus and his sleigh go past our schoolhouse, and I said, I saw him, there he goes. And he was strictly a fib because I didn't tell the truth. That was not nice of me, but I have that has lingered in my mind. <laughs> I should have never done that, because. but I was just trying to get attention. So to y'all that are younger, uh, try to be yourself, just S-E-L-F. Be natural and always be as sweet and kind as you know how. Yeah. Thank you. And Christmas time is the time for that. You know, um, of all the memories of Christmas, uh, I think the thing that we could wish for all of you hearing this broadcast or this podcast, what we would say is very simply that we hope that Christ is always a part of your Christmas. Uh, that's the thing that never changes. The ornaments may change. The cards may change. A lot of things may change. But having Christ in Christmas never should change for all of us. So we can wish you in this Christmas of 2015 a very merry one. And we hope you'll stay with us uh, for the program in the future. And thanks for being with us on Christian Living That Counts. Merry Christmas. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. I want to tell you about the special underwriting sponsor of Christian Living That Counts. This is show host Steve Russell to introduce you to the Prefort family of Mount Pleasant, Texas. Prefort Manufacturing was founded by the late Marvin Prefort, a born inventor who moved his growing business to the heart of cattle country in northeast Texas in 1962. Since then, Prefort Manufacturing has become the leader in the highest quality of farm, ranch, and rodeo equipment, employing over 800 people and shipping their products worldwide. Bill Prefert, Marvin's son, assumed the leadership of the company in 1988 after the unexpected passing of his father, Marvin. Today, under their dad's watchful eye, the third generation of Bill's sons, Eddie, Nate, and Travis are carrying on the family tradition and business, including the Christian faith that they quickly credit with much of their success and growth. I'm proud to call the Prefert's friends and appreciate their making the internet radio broadcast of Christian Living That Counts possible. Learn more about this dedicated Christian family and their outstanding business at prefert.com. That's P-R-I-E-F-E-R-T dot com. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. So, if a larger percentage of we Christians were genuinely obeying God's command, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then we could be in control of what he gave to us. But, wait, read Ephesians 2, verse 2, wherein... During the past, you walked according to the course of this world and to the prince of the power of the air. This air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Have you followed 
the recent actions of Rick Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, excuse me, such people have removed 91 scripture verses from God's holy word, the Bible. We are forbidden to take from the holy book even one word. Modern translators shall not be forgiven. Hell's fire is ready and waiting. We suggest you help friends to know the truth. T-R-U-T-H. Revelation 20, verse 15 says, Then, uh, says, If your name is not found written in the book of life, you will be cast, cast into the lake of fire. Go to John 3.16 and then find John 14.6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to my Father except through me. Every saved person has a testimony. Please write one, if you have not. Only yourself and your Maker will know to judge its contents. I have not read my salvation testimony of late. I shall find it and read it now. Who knows, it could easily influence another human to realize the seriousness of earthly life and the glory of God's heavenly home prepared for each of us. Hey, help save that friend. See you in heaven. Thinking back to the 1920s, the following article to old-timers may be interesting. It is, to me, a high school senior in 1938, I could get a haircut for two bits, a quarter. Here is an article that I found. My Christmas quarter bought more than gifts. My mother was a genius at making do. During the Depression, it was a happy time for us children, and we were never aware that we were missing out on anything. One Christmas, my mother somehow managed to spare a shiny quarter and gave it to me to buy gifts. G-I-F-T-S. I was ecstatic. Twenty-five whole cents, more money than I'd ever seen. I put it inside my wool mitten. I clasped and unclasped it, feeling its power. I wandered through the aisles of the five and ten cent store, wondering what to buy. Amid a display of hair ribbons and bobby pins, I found the beautiful red bone clips for five cents. They'd look beautiful in my sister's hair, in her black hair. Next, I walked through the sewing department, looking carefully at all the yardage. Then I spied a rack of thimbles with all mother's quilting, mending, and darning. Her old thimble was worn and thin. I gave the clerk a dime for one and got a nickel in exchange. In change, Dad was next, and his gift was easy. He loved licorice. That would tickle his sweet tooth all morning. I bought ten strings of it at a penny each. I still had a nickel left. What could I buy for myself? A double-dip ice cream cone, maybe a candy bar. But then my conscience told me I was very lucky to have a whole quarter to spend for Christmas gifts since so many people had needs greater than mine. Our minister had told us all about world hunger, and I knew my prized nickel could help a lot. So, come Sunday, I dropped my nickel into the collection plate. I felt as generous as a great philanthropist. Today, we spend 25 cents to mail a letter, and I think nothing of spending $25 on a gift 
but I double. But I doubt any shopping spree will ever compare to that Depression-era Christmas when my mother gave me a whole quarter. Thank you. Dear friend, thank you for using the Gideon Living Memorial Bible Plan, which enables the Gideons International to purchase scriptures for distribution in the many areas of its worldwide outreach. Because of the contribution which you and many others have made through this unique memorial plan, more copies of the scriptures are now available to be placed on the hands in the hands of many who would otherwise not receive the word of God. One such person to receive God's word from the Gideons was John Dury of St. Louis, Missouri, now deceased. Here is the testimony of his salvation related to my wife, to his wife, Nadine. My husband was in the ICU for an entire month near the end of his life. He asked me to read the Bible to him, but I didn't have mine with me. I was so thankful the Gideons had placed the New Testament in the waiting room where it was available to someone who needed it. I read the third chapter of John to my husband along with other passages. I explained the scriptures to him, and he let me know he understood what I was telling him. Then he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. My husband, John Deree, died just a few weeks after he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus. I will always be grateful to the Gideons for placing these Bibles in hospitals. The purpose of a Gideon is to witness to others, to Jesus. A faithful Gideon was able to make such a placement because you and others like you provided the funds to purchase the scriptures. On behalf of countless others like John and Nadine Dury, the Gideons International, thank you very sincerely. We the Gideons, an association, it's not a church. Welcome. Today's, today is November 1, 2015. All Saints Day is a universal festival of the church. This festival day directs our attention to the richness of Christian history and the varied experiences of the grace of God by lifting up the lives of the saints. The custom of commemorating all the martyrs of the church on a single day goes back at least to the third century. All Saints Day, November 1, celebrates not only the martyrs and saints, but all the people of God, living and dead, who together form the mystical body of Christ. We remember those who have died since All Saints Day last year in our prayers today, and we give thanks for their lives. We remember and find strength in their faith and the faith of all the saints, both known to us and known only to God. Thank you. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. Hey friends, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts. I want to introduce you to my friend David Taylor. He's celebrating his 35th anniversary as a financial advisor. David is a CPA and has recently written a book to answer the need of so many ladies who came to his office after the passing of their husbands. 
Often they knew nothing of their financial details or status. David's book is called The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. Be listening for my interview with David soon and learn how you can get your copy of The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm Free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be, I'm Free, with Minister Diane Jones, Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. For all the saints who from their labors rest, all who by faith before the world confessed, your name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Hallelujah. You were their rock, their fortress, and their might. You, Lord, their captain in the well-fought fight. You, in the darkness drear, their one true light. Hallelujah. Obey your soldiers, faithful, true, and bold. Fight as the saints who nobly fought of old. And win with them the victor's crown of gold. Hallelujah. All blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. Yet all are one within your great design. Hallelujah. But then there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The King of glory passes on his way. Hallelujah. From earth's wide bounds, from ocean's forest coast, through gates of pearl streams in the countless host, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, let's uh, recognize wicked jealousy. Wicked jealousy. Please do not assist Satan in his work. Guilty I am during half a lifetime. That old saying, you cannot see the forest because of the trees, is very true. Voice of experience speaking. So listen hard. The Holy Spirit is capable of showing yourself to you if you will permit. We can compare this pitiful fact, F-A-C-T, to a simple habit. Yes, it takes two to tango. May God bless and forgive her jealous heart containing real jealousy. The maker of mankind directed yours truly from mid-state Nebraska to Dallas, Texas, April 1946. Soon the Son of God placed into my care a near-perfect beauty. Forty days later, we became husband and wife. Except for Satan, it was the beginning of 56 happy years. She had just returned from Bible college at this 
at his command. Sorry about that. At his command. We were each virgins, innocent as two turtle doves. However, this mother-in-law desire for a genuine Texan for a son-in-law didn't take place. Her only baby married me, five foot seven inches, 128 pounds, a traveling salesman. State representative for R.W. Kerr Plastics from Hastings, Nebraska. Now seldom home. After marriage, we were both free and happy in Jesus. Baptist Church every Sunday. Two years later, our only child, a precious believer, godly servant to any and all. Daughter's deep love for mother, simply perfect, similarly to husband and to son, but on necessary, unnes- but un- UN, unnecessary hatred, verbally displayed from mother-in-law, did not increase my love comments to what I wanted for a very sweet group. I believe my darling wife's cancer was brought on because of bickering, of being wanted by two sides, by her most beloved people. Oh, what to say. Oh, what to do. Ouch. Lord, take me home. At age 79, the sweetest took promotion. Webster's book explains jealous as demanding, very selfish. Hey, y'all, beware of Satan, the prince of the air that we breathe. Find and study First John. First John is in the back of the Bible, first, second, and third. Study First John chapter two, verse eleven. Also Psalm eighty one fifteen and John twelve twenty five. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. John twelve twenty five. Wicked jealousy. Terrible thing. Miracles of God performed by Prophet Elisha. Many of us have heard the story of how a servant of God made iron float, I-R-O-N. Find in the King James Version Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, and the iron, I-R-O-N, did swim. A man put out his hand and took it. Also read about the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. His secrets were foretold to his enemies by a prophet named of Elisha. King Hadad was warring against Israel. Being human, he had troubles as we do. When he learned a man of God, prophet Elisha, was making his plans known, he determined to kill Elisha. But Elisha foreknew such actions, so he prayed and asked God to open eyes of his young helper, showing preparations of God Almighty, how horses and chariots were ready to protect Elisha and his followers. Also, at request of Elisha, God smit the Cyrenian with blindness. This gave Elisha chance to mislead 
the Syrian man's enemies to another area, to Samaria. Bread and water was then set before the lost group. After good nourishment, they followed advice of Elisha. The prophet asked of God again, who returned sight to the would-be killers. Willingly, they went back to their master, King Hadad. Still anxious to slaughter and kill, Hadad then sent his killer host, his army, to attack Samaria. A great famine in Samaria complicated complicated the picture. Yes, for example, a donkey's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cup of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. At this time, the king of Israel passing by, was informed of a woman how her neighbor friend, both hungry, had said, Give thy son that we may boil and eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. Being very disturbed, By such news, this king of Israel demanded the head of God's prophet, Elisha. Prophet Elisha foreknew his days to be at risk, so he at once also made a declaration, namely, Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time of day, Food prices will become low, L-O-W, and fair for all peoples. Now, in fairness to you, my listeners, find in the Bible 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1 through 15, 7, 1 through 15, and learn how prophet Elisha's forecast was fulfilled by God. Read Second Kings chapter seven, sixteen through twenty. Also, what book in all the world could be more exciting and interesting? Today we do not realize our easy, convenient way of life. We enjoy and take too much for granted. The foregoing facts took place approximately 900 years before Christ. Those peoples were troubled by sounds and noise of distant active armies, men of war. Get with the Lord Jesus and know his plan. You will be glad you did. The sooner, the better. Steve Russell returns next week at the same time, discussing how renewed lives can make a difference in a broken world. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.